Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Welcome back, pop culture nerds, to Digital Dissection. Our guest today is an incredible actor behind the performances of many characters throughout TV, animation, and video games. He is the force behind characters like Leonardo da Vinci of Assassin's Creed, Michael Corleone in the Godfather 2 video game, and of course, Dominic Santiago from the Gears of War series. So we're honored to welcome to the show, Carlos Ferro. Carlos, how are we doing tonight? Hey, really, really well. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited about uh, chatting with you guys about all things geeky and uh, throwing in some curse words, hopefully. <laughs> well, those are always fucking appreciated. Preferred. Oh, my God. Right now. Well, you know what's funny is that most cunts that do these things, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And I, I, I'm like, fuck that. We've got to fucking do this right or why even bother with the shit, right? Yeah, Damn exactly. straight. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> well, Carlos, I, I want to introduce you to a couple of folks who are joining us along for the ride. You know, the, the folks that are listening in obviously know that uh, myself, Mark Benke, and Joe Vinopol, we host. But tonight, we're also joined by my older brother. And he's actually been on this program a few times. His name is Nate Benke. He's going to be helping us out today. So, Nate, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. I'm happy to be here. As soon as I heard that you had Carlos coming in, I was real excited. And after going right. through his IMDb, I became even more excited because I didn't know everything you had done. <laughs> like, uh, you're uncredited. Uh, Casting as Hugo Chavez, is that correct? That is correct. That is pretty correct. Uh, I think it is credited uh, at this point, but I think back then when they were doing the IMD update, whoever did that, it said uncredited. But uh, if you watch, uh, I, I know because I've got the episode of The Good Wife. It's it's that's a real deep cut, Nate. Well done. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, it's I, one of those things I, like the guy off of uh, the guy off of Seinfeld that plays George's boss also played. I think the guy in The Rock, not The Rock. Yeah, what was it? Not The Rock. It was the one where. Um, Mark might know this one. The guy played some sort of terrorist in some other country or something like that in Russia. I'm trying to remember what movie that was in. <laughs> I mean, that, that is that, that's, literally that's very every specific, movie in the man. 80s. Yeah, Nate, Nate, that was, that was not your best work, buddy. It was like, I, I'm yeah, trying to so remember he, what it was. It so he played the, the bad guy. He was Eastern European, and uh, the good guy was trying to kill him. And that guy was American. You know, Carlos... I can remember the movie, I'll mention it, but it was like one of the weirdest <laughs> references. I saw that immediately and started laughing. I'm like, there's no way I can take this movie seriously now that it's got George's boss in it. <laughs> <laughs> well the good wife was a fun gig and yes ah. i was hugo chavez's uh voice in that and uh it was it was actually very fun because uh at the time um uh, there was just all this all this material about real quotes that the cat had said 
that uh, that I was re- just repeating and and kind of putting them in the context of the script. But it was it was very funny that people thought that I was kind of just. I mean, it's. I think it's a it's a compliment. It really is a compliment. People think that mm-hmm. your stuff is so natural that it's improvised. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. people people tend to watch really good actors in film and TV and say, "Oh man, you know that was improvised. You know that I got to think that's improvised." And it's like, no. What it shows is how goddamn good that actor is. That he, it makes it look so organic and real and natural. And all these lines that they gave me in that one gig. And, and you know, it's fun for me to. I never get to talk about it really. So I'm just gonna give it to you guys that. Um, every line where I'm playing uh, this, you know, Venezuelan, you know, famous, infamous dictator, and I'm and I'm saying all this crazy shit. This is stuff he really said. So in the middle of a political discourse or in the middle of a press conference or on television, he would, you know, kind of sprinkle his his uh, speeches with talk about his admiration for Courtney Love oh. or oh. or he or he would mention, you know, what he doesn't like about Sean Penn. And yeah. that that's that's hysterical. I mean, it's it, it's 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 to me, it's a very funny thing. Um, I mean, it's it's like if uh, <laughs> it's like if one of our presidents just was like, you know, I think Bibi Rexa should be playing Madonna. They would be like, what? Why, why would you even say that? Why would you even say that today? You know, so it, <laughs> no, no, it, was, I just, it was fun. I, I just thought of the reference, by the way, it's it's uh, Crimson Tide. The guy that's like starting the nuclear war in Crimson Tide, he's George's boss from Seinfeld. So I could never take that movie seriously <laughs> after that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I, I, I just envisioned some furious IMD being by you right now. <laughs> we do that before the interview. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I speaking of, uh, of of things that are kind of ridiculous, Carlos, you know, yes. I, I for quite a bit of time was trying to name our first child. So I, my first child was a boy. Okay. Um, and throughout the naming process, there were many fights between my wife and I, none, none physical, right? They were just all, <laughs> all, yeah. all verbal. The fact right? that you would even have to qualify that is pretty funny. Well, well I mean, a, a, honestly, yeah. it was very much American gladiators. There was padding and there was judges and <laughs> yeah. several, yes. several people watching on TV to make oh, sure yeah. this was all fine. Yeah, there were unitards yeah. and like the giant Q-tips, the whole thing. Perfect. Um, <laughs> but the big thing was we finally settled on a name for this boy. And it would happen to be Dominic. And Fantastic. Of course, Carlos, you know, I, I have the the Dominic Santiago figure. I used to have him uh, on a bookshelf in my room, and I'd walk by it every single day. And I'm sure that's where the name truly came from, because my wife loved it, and I went, of course you love it. He's the best gear. He's the best guy from Delta Squad. <laughs> See, that's of course not you the love story it. I remember, but I'll let you have it. I thought it was because my wife my wife had suggested it to your wife because we had seen inception and we loved it so i think your inspiration is different for liking it but i think the genesis of it was was because of that conversation so i'm, I'm just throwing that in there See, you know, this, is, this is the, <laughs> this yeah, this is the banter i like the name yep. just t- yeah. took that story right away from you <laughs> oh i'm gonna well he, he loves doing that because <laughs> that you know, he loves to he loves to try to insert himself into my bedroom and what i just there. i just really i just i gotta I tell you that the, the the best part of this the best part of this exchange just now you, you have to take a second to appreciate that you told me what pretty much built up to a very touching story of you know what on a subconscious level your work in, as this character made me love the character and you know naming my child the name just sounded right but really i think there was a lot of context that came to it about you know about your work and then your brother goes wasn't that <laughs> you know he brought me on it wasn't that. that reason there's stories he's gotten wrong over the years 
when yeah. I'm listening to this podcast, I'm always like, you know, if I were there, I'd correct that. Just no, the, tr- the, the truth is Nate has been so used to trying to cock block me throughout our careers that <laughs> right. now he's trying to cock block the inception of my son, which, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. okay. That's fine. That's fine. I, that's mean, what he brought I just assumed today. this was all because of Cade's obsession with the Fast and Furious franchise. And really, yeah, I was thinking was Dominic Toretto, clearly. Yeah, clearly. because it's a good name. It's a good what? name. You have to go that way when you're talking about family. <laughs> yeah you know it's funny i'm still sitting here thinking we, we, you guys have already got one serious exclusive i curse a lot but organically it just happens I, I, have a, I have a potty mouth but the fact that you set me up by saying it's it's cool it's cool and i did that big my first sentence in this podcast was like just sprinkled with bad words i'm just i i'm just imagining one of your listeners just being like Fuck, he really does curse. Holy shit. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Yeah, especially if it's my folks, you know, my God-fearing parents. If they're listening into this, they're probably going, fuck, he does curse a lot. He does curse a yeah. lot. Jesus. Busted out the yeah. C word in two seconds. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so Carlos, for a moment, what we, we like to do on this show, we've had uh, quite a few folks kind of come through our doors. And one of the questions that we like to ask about is some of the earlier you know, memories of life, right? We're not talking about like the moment you were born because we probably can't get that one. But (laughs) we we, we like to understand a little bit more about, you know, the the younger version of yourself. And um, we understand that you, you know, you began your life in San Francisco and we wanted to understand a little bit more about the pre- you know, Carlos that we know now. And if you could just give us a little bit of background on how you came up. My pleasure. And I appreciate the question very much, you guys, because I I do... uh, uh, okay. Well, first of all, I don't do a lot of podcasts, and so I'm I'm pretty picky and choosy, and I and I kind of do my own due diligence and my own little recon and see who I'm talking to. And um, you guys seem like my people, and I thought you know I, I'd give this, this a shot, uh, if if only because you seemed like you'd get my stuff and I'd get your stuff, and and I and I think I'm right. You know, one of you has a Lancer. I I see you know Power Ranger stuff behind another person. I mean, you know, Nate's cock blockery aside, um, I, <laughs> hey, well, I, I, it's fine. I, I thought, I, thought to my, I thought to myself, you know, I, I should try this out. But uh, I rarely get questions uh, about uh, pre-Hollywood uh, life. And uh, the only person that I've ever given that to was uh, or, or talked about that that part of my life was with Aisha Tyler on, on her podcast. And oh. uh, she's, she's also from San Francisco. So uh, my, my point really is that I, I rarely get into this, but I, it's my pleasure to talk about it. Um, she, she's from she went to high school in the same neighborhood as I did. And uh, we have a lot of things in common. So it was kind of a natural you know, for, for a subject, but you asking me about me as a kid, um, it's, it's a weird uh, coincidence. I was just at a convention and, uh, someone, someone mentioned that they, they thought that, uh, what they'd seen online about my action figure collection and like the other interviews that they've seen, they, they kind of followed me, you know, in the last 10 years, they were like, you really are a geek. You're really geeky. Yeah. I mean, no, but you really are a geek. And like, was saying it over and over again. Like, I didn't know. Right. Like, like, no, you really are geeky. I'm like, I know, man. And, and, and the reality, the reality is that I, 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 uh, well, what I said to them was I ended up exactly where I was supposed to be and it's hard. And most people go their whole lives and they don't really know if they ended up in the job they were supposed to have or that they'd be best at, or they ended up with surrounding themselves with the people that they should be surrounded by, or if they just fucked that whole thing up and they're just really, Mm -hmm. you know, it just didn't work out. And for me, I try to find all kinds of happiness and grace and joy in the simplest thing that the little kid in San Francisco, whose bedroom looked like he sold action figures for a job, you know, (laughs) like, like, like my mom used to walk into my childhood bedroom and say, what are we selling action figures? 
I mean, like that, like, like, like she was just looking at me like, what, like you're crazy because I was shelving things like every sideshow collectibles person you see now, everybody that collects hot toys or collects any kind of statues, maquettes, people that are into their figures out of the box and set up dioramas. I was that kid. My earliest memories are me smuggling my Dr. McCoy action figure into school. And because in my imagination, I I just felt like I was smuggling a little human being into school and I was showing it to other people, other kids in the class. And of course I got in trouble and pinched and got, you know, busted and everything. But the, the, but the reality is that I I existed in, in this zone of sci-fi fantasy comic books. Um, My siblings were much older than me. So I was raised essentially as an only child. Um, They were, when I was born, the youngest was uh, graduated high school so i i my you know being a, a little kid in in kindergarten and uh in first grade was all about my imagination it was all about comic books my collection and i was i'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of ocd and all that stuff that plays into being a collector but i was i i i didn't think comic books were good enough just stacked in my bedroom i was like i gotta somehow raise the funds to put them in those plastic sheaths and have my cardboard boxes that's a that's an odd thing for a little kid. You know what I mean? That's a high yeah. schooler's kind of jam. Like my collection, I want it to be neat, cleaner, or just you know more, more anal retentive, whatever. But but I, I as a little tiny kid, I I I like things being displayed, and I liked I liked uh, the I, I was really really grabbed by what now is very common. Uh, the the model, the business model of the MCU, the cinematic universe about you see one of those movies now you got to see them all yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. that that some people hated that about comic books i, I had a lot of friends that they they like spider-man or they like batman or they like superman but they really resented having to read legion of superheroes because of one little asterisk comment at the bottom of a panel <laughs> i i was like wait a minute i'm reading a story about the fantastic four and dr doom and there's a little asterisk that says read an amazing this that uh, marvel team up 38 like like it would send me to go either i mean in some cases steal or buy a comic book you know what i mean like like i was like i gotta read this mm-hmm. yesterday and so i i i did have every spin-off every secondary character's comic book line and so I was, it was just really, uh, my, my joy as a child and I never really outgrew it. And, uh, by the time I got to, uh, you know, high school, you know, your interest shift and all that, but I was still, you know, real, you know, kept my shit, you know, uh, in the closet and, and, you know, literally and metaphorically, no, I, I kept it in the closet. You know, my, my action figures were on display. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not kidding more in my closet than in the room. And I had my books and my, uh, all my comic books and stuff stacked in the closet, but they were, no one was going to fuck with them. I mean, they were, it was, it was my prized possessions and no matter how old I ever got. And, uh, if you're going to talk about insight into, into the kid me is that that kid I just described, which as you can imagine, I'm not, I'm not going to bring the room down, but I was mercilessly bullied for all this. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, mm-hmm. I, my, some of my earliest memories are also, why won't Carlos stop talking about fucking star Wars? You know, <laughs> I, I, I heard that a lot. I mean, and not in a good way, like right before a punch, you know what I mean? And, and so I, I, um, I, I embraced my geekery, but it wasn't embraced by anybody else. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. completely. Well, you know, that, it was, that's it, how life was for a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it a wasn't lot, a cool, it wasn't a cool thing. It wasn't a cool thing. So it was quite the opposite. And, you know, 
I, I, I got obsessive about a lot of uh, a lot of other kinds of things like cinema and, you know, music. And and, you know, as I got older, these things evolved into other interests, but they were still there at the heart of it that this bullied kid uh, from San Francisco was pretty much an expert on all this material. You know what I mean? I was mm-hmm. an expert. I didn't realize it at the time, but I did have a point of reference for every James Bond movie. I did know I, I did know my my uh, if there was a multiverse, I was aware of it. If there was, you know, I knew the difference between Secret Wars and Crisis on Infinite Earths. I, 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 I you know, when someone would call Batman the Dark Knight, I would make sure they weren't just talking about Frank Miller's books. I, I yeah. was I, I, I was that geeky. So that that in terms of insight. Yeah, man. At the time, it wasn't great. But it has informed everything I've ever done in my career, even a stage play, uh, even if it's not the right genre, all those things, uh, how people interact, uh, good guys versus bad guys, mm-hmm. uh, you know, conspiracies, organizations, corporate versus, you know, governmental, all that stuff. It, it's, it's a real education uh, about, you know, uh, perspective and, and, and having one. And I, I, I like to think that I still bring that to my work now that when I, I remember when I was first uh, you know, on television, I would be on a set and uh, or at an audition really is, is where it worked more. And they would say, so this is this show is a lot like, have you seen such and such a show? And I'd be like, I've seen all shows, dude. Like, like, you know, what I mean, like, you know, what I mean, like, like, have you have you heard of this comic? I've heard of all comics. Like I yeah. was always prepared with a context for what I was doing and it served me. And so being getting into the video game industry and animation, cartoons, working with directors and people that I admired since I was a child. I came in ready to go. So uh, it, uh, it it was a good thing. At the time, it was it was it was kind of rough going here and there. But it I look back on it crazy fondly now. Yeah, I, I could just see you, Carlos, looking into someone's eyes and going, you're not the only one cursed with knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I don't feel like one of like the, you know, the starting age of what I'm going to call the fan star. You know what I mean? Someone that was a fan of it. And then, you know, when people talk about like Henry Cavill today, kind of in that kind of perspective where you're talking about someone that's an absolute expert on yeah. these things before they even get into it. Yeah. And you got yeah. like that much more credibility when you finally do it. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate when any of the uh, uh, people involved in these properties that we love so much, whenever they've got that sort of passion for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I must have stared at the picture of Tom Holland as a little boy holding the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man action figure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I must have stared at that for five minutes, just being like, this is, this is about as great as the universe can be to someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that what a, what a, what a, what an incredible journey that all his dance disciplines, all his acting work as a child and everything. He's now Spider-Man and you know, everybody has a different journey to their shit. But like you were saying about Henry Cavill, I mean, you got, you got to know, I mean, uh, I can give you a fun fact about Henry Cavill to go along with what you were saying. He's geeky and all that. And it must be like, what I was going to say was, mm-hmm. it must be amazing to put on the suit every time. But uh, do you guys know about how many jobs that guy didn't get, Henry Cavill? No. Henry Cavill, when, when you're bored, and this is something for your listeners and for you guys specifically, when you're bored, just do a search, a Google search, Henry Cavill, unluckiest man alive. It's, it's that, that's, 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 that's the name of the article, and there were variations on the article when they got picked up by other uh, news agencies. But about right before, not right before, a little mm-hmm. bit before he booked Superman. He had been 
whoever had a superhero franchise. So we're talking about Christian Bale's Batman. We're talking about um, uh, Daniel Craig's James Bond. We're talking mm -hmm. about uh, every superhero, Superman, Batman, every, every spy property, every single leading man property from the 90s, like the end of the 90s, to the early 2000s, he, he had been in contention for where it was him and the guy who ended up getting it. Ooh. And he got, and he got this nickname, the unluckiest man in Hollywood, because he, he always got to the last thing. And I don't know if, I mean, you guys may remember this, but he started kind of gigging and getting on our radar in like kind of mm -hmm. crappy movies like Hercules or, or, or like, a, uh, there was, there was like a, a crappy Monte version Monte of Hercules. Yeah. He was in the kind of Monte Cristo. That's like one of the first yeah. times I saw him. Then Wait, also, what's, um, what's funny. You say that. And I'm like, he did a kind of Monte Cristo. Like, I didn't even yeah, know that. Yeah. Like, yeah it was Jim Caviezel. Yeah. yeah guy Pierce. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see what I'm saying. That that's mm -hmm. a per that illustrates my point perfectly is that right <laughs> now, right now they wouldn't cast Superman in the Count of Monte Cristo. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, no. they, mm -hmm. he, he is, he is now in a different category of leading man, but he wasn't always, he was for so long, but imagine the guy who knows the value of I'm going to be fucking Batman, not yeah. getting Batman. And then mm -hmm. being like, I'm the new James Bond. If, and they're never going to have the blonde James Bond and then boom, blonde James Bond. And he's not yeah. James Bond. And it goes on and on and on. Superman returns. He didn't get it. Brandon Routh got it. It, it, I, I mean, if I really, if I, if I sit here and think about it, I get, it's, uh, I have the article actually somewhere. I actually kept it because it's pretty, uh, it's reassuring for an actor, you know, when you think that they're writing articles about how unlucky you are and, you know, now the world is his, it was just a matter of time for someone like him. And, and I like to think it's just a matter of time for most people that have the goods and the chops and the expertise, like you were saying, but at the same time, can you imagine what a bummer, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean that's not yeah. not a title they like to have like on yeah. any plaque or resume. Yeah, yeah I'm not very lucky um, yeah. at my job. So if we could just hurry this along to the point where you reject me, uh, yeah. I know I'm, I'm going to be really good up until you know you guys hire the guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, up yeah, until so, that point though, it was just Henry Cavill with a non Geralt of Rivia voice, just going mm -hmm. "fuck" every single time he'd lose a gig. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Carlos, we've we've done quite a bit over really your love of pop culture and this kind of nerdiness and geekiness that you've held since you were a child. But was there any like specific like entry point for you? Like that one one property, one character, something that really, really just captured you when you were that age and launched you into loving that lifestyle? Well, I, I got to say, in that same window of childhood, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to stay out of adolescence because your your motivations change. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's it's one it's one thing to to think, you know, it's good to be an avenging angel and and kind of, you know, th there's a lot of when you when you especially when you're a bullied kid, you know, there's a lot of getting even kind of shit. That's all yeah. you know is it would be so satisfying to not be the one on the receiving end of the bullying and and to sort out other people, you know, so that they don't get bullied and all that. There, there's a lot of that, you know, because that's all you know. And of course, when you're an adolescent, you're just like, I want to get the girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. like, like he gets all the girls. I want to be the guy that gets all the girls. James Bond sounds great. He gets all the girls. But when I when I was when I was a kid, I got to tell you, Spider-Man. If, if, if I'm hard pressed here, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, the way Peter Parker was written by Stan Lee and, and with Steve Ditko and, and that, that era of Spider-Man looking at little, little collections of books, I would get uh, soft cover bound things like these mm -hmm. books called uh, Son of Origins and uh, uh, Origin of Marvel Superheroes. Like if you were already into cartoons and stuff as a kid and you collected current comics, like if you were reading The Amazing Spider-Man or The Spectacular Spider-Man as a kid 
which are kind of reprints of old shit, you could actually go to a bookstore and find, you know, a big, like the size of a phone book, like all kinds of compendiums that no one was yeah. buying at the time. Now they're yeah. hard to come by. I still have them in my, like, I have like a, the geekiest uh, library. It's like a oh, reference library awesome. for geeks. <laughs> and it's all because I had it since then, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I remember diving really hard into the fact that Peter Parker was, he was smart first and that he, he, his, his, all his enhancements came from what he already was. So he was already a good guy. And so he became a great guy, a really good guy, a decent guy. And uh, even, even with his, you know, him fucking up the thing with uncle Ben, he was still, uh, you know, he decided to take the right route and not become a villain, which is real. Again, when you're a kid, that's all you see is like, is the guy going to be a good guy or a bad guy, but a nerdy kid that doesn't get the girl yet. And that and that, you know, is still kind of bullied and can't let everybody know Uh, him coupled with, you know, you know, uh, Clark Kent in Smallville. I remember those teenage kids. They they seem like fully realized adults to me as a little boy. And Mm -hmm. my point of entry a lot was the the secret identity versus the superhero within. And and that 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 resonated really strongly is that, you know, when you when you're sad, you're like, nobody knows that I'm a superhero. You know what I mean? But when you're when you're just being kind of practical, you're like man, you know, I, I don't have to really act out as long as I do good when it counts. That was kind of a big deal. That was, that was a kind of a thing. I don't have to, I don't have to wear a suit or, or get fame for it, but when it counts, do the right thing. Those, those simple little morality plays in comic books uh, told on a really crazy grand scale in space with Dr. Strange and, you know, all the, all that sort of, and, and fantastic four, they still had that real common human element that, that really, uh, it, it made a real difference to me as a kid, because you, you, you know, how do you reconcile, you know, I'm being a good kid and I like cool shit yet. No one's, I have no friends, you know, I don't have many friends or, or real friends. And so I would say the Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, um, again, I, 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 I had for the tiny little window where I had posters, uh, you know, <laughs> that weren't of girls. Um, I, um, I, I had like Superman, Spider-Man and Batman, and they were sort of the tr- uh, the, the Holy Trinity to me of, of the superheroes. Uh, then of course, soon after, you know, Wonder Woman goes up for a billion different reasons. You know what I mean? Oh, but, yeah. but, but, but it was still, it still had that thing of like, you know, I can do good, even though not everybody knows why or that it's me or whatever. That that I would say is the the long winded answer to your question. I, I can't help but reference the Family Guy episode where Superman flies up next to Wonder Woman on the invisible jet, and mm-hmm. and she's actually using the toilet, and then right. he stops and goes, "I couldn't help but notice that you didn't wash your hands in the invisible sink." you know it's funny that's a play on one of the oldest dirty jokes in history that's that 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 i mean family guy is pretty i mean all all stuff is derivative right but 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 uh there's um there's some i'm not i'm not going to tell the joke guys but i i will say this it has to do with superman flying overhead and trying to basically give wonder woman a heads up about that she's sunbathing and it turns out that he ends you know what he ends up doing is disturbing the invisible man with wonder woman (laughs) yes Uh, i I think i remember that (laughs) (laughs) cracking cracking uh reference for anybody over 50 so (laughs) i'll tell you what before we shift away from the the we'll call it the uh, the Carlos Rises section here. One sure. question that a fan actually wrote in to us was specific about your relationship with cats. And the question yeah. was, did cats find you or did you find cats? How did that relationship begin? I found cats. 
I, I, here, here's the thing. I was a dog's guy my whole life and, and I still am. I'm, I'm a dog and cat guy, but really I, I had, I was raised with a, a dog that was kind of like my dog, even though it was my mom's dog. Then I got her a dog, which really became my dog. So I, I always had a dog around the house that, I mean, you, you can hear it by that description that I wasn't really looking after as much as I should, but, but it's like, that's my mom's dog. She'll look after it. But it was, <laughs> but it was clear, clearly my dog and my laziness. Um, when I, as an adult, I had a couple of dogs that I, I loved very much. But George Carlin said it best that all pets are little tragedies waiting to happen. Oh yeah. And and I started I started finding that uh, not only was he right, but I wasn't really that equipped for those tragedies. Like like mm-hmm. like it was it was losing dogs was was really fucked up for me. Like it 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 was it was one of those things that I uh, there's some part of my practical mind that um, and it's it's not great to think this way because uh, all animals are worthy of love and no matter how long you have them or look after them. And I know that now, but it, coming up as a young guy, man, I was like, man, not only am I am I investing my whole heart into this, but you know, I'm it's the writings on the wall. I'm gonna have my heart broken into a million pieces. And then when it would, it would be a real never again, fucking never again, never again. Yeah. So, so when, when I did have a couple of cats, uh, uh, my, my first pair that were mine that I got from a litter brother and sister, a little tuxedo cat and a pastel calico. Um, I, I found that they were just a better fit, man, that they just, even though I had dogs after that, I remember vividly that it was a match made in heaven. They, they were so self-sufficient yet were very much there for me when I needed them. My love for them was as strong, if not stronger, because they seemed delicate and, and not as sturdy as, as the dogs that I liked. Um, and so it, uh, I found them. I mean, like, like I, I thought this was, it was, and it was really kind of a practical move. It was me and my then girlfriend had an apartment in San Francisco and cats is what we could have, not dogs. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then, um, years later, many years later, when, uh, 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 my dogs, I, I didn't have dogs anymore. I still was like, you know what? Pets, no more pets, no more pets, no more pets. And a, uh, a stray. So I guess this is kind of now in my adult, my, my more recent life in the last, you know, uh, 10, you know, 15 years, the, uh, cats did find me. So I found them originally, then they refound me. That is a good way to put it. They found me in our, in our cat narrative of my life, um, <laughs> is, is that there was a, a beautiful white, uh, just outside a cat following a bunch of strays uh, of like feral cats. And he was this white cat with one eye and he was all kind of fucked up looking and had a bright blue eye. And um, I saw him having a rough time of it. And then he came to my front door and crawl. And I didn't know why there was a meowing cat in the middle of the night. And he crawled up my leg and grabbed my neck. And and I was pretty fucked. I was like, I don't know what this is, but he's so cute. And I tried to find the owner and I tried to do all this sort of stuff. And I realized that he, like a lot of strays and a lot of cats, had been abandoned, had been yeah. basically disregarded. It wasn't like, oh, God, these cats are born on the street. And what are we going to do with this cat problem? You know, we got no none of that. This was people in West Hollywood get cats or get dogs and they get bored with them or they can't handle the responsibility and they ditch yeah. them. And it's completely fucked up. So I immediately decided one day, I mean, not decide, immediately decided, but I decided one day that I immediately have to bring this cat inside and make a mine, look after him. And he, they, you know, that if there is a heart cat, it was Winslow, this white cat that's still in all my social media from back in the day, from the last 10 years. And I never wanted to make myself famous. Never. That's never been one of my goals. I've always wanted, I wanted my cat to be famous. I wanted, I, I wanted, I wanted Winslow to have the, the fame, the glory for everything that he was doing for my life and like how great cats were and how, how it was great to save cats. So, 
uh, Winslow changed the trajectory of me and pets and how I live my life. Um, I, I started saying life is better with cats to a lot of people that kind of get it. And when he passed on, you know, I thought, remember I was saying that this whole thing was ending and was kind of kind of curbing pets and dogs and cats because of the heartbreak. But if anything, having that experience and such a fulfilling and, and full experience with Winslow, the, the, the white cat with the blue eye, um, it inspired me to like never be without cats ever again. Like I got to look after cats. If I, if I hear something, some, some kickoff outside between cats, I got to go stop it and make sure they're safe. I want to make sure cars don't hurt them. If they're, if they're outside and not being fed, well, they're fed now. Um, if, yeah. you know, oh, you're adopting those cats. Yeah, I guess I am. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, you know, I've, I've got, uh, two cats now, one that was abandoned in, uh, near Dodger stadium, with a fucking bunny, a kitten and a bunny oh, were no. abandoned. They were left outside by the people because they were moving and they couldn't take them. So they just left them outside. Someone will get them. Oh, How man. crazy is that thinking? You know what I mean? That's horrible. So, so that it's horrible. like the cutest combination of animal you could possibly have. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so a cat and a bunny. Oh, so, so that's so that's where Phoenix came from, who's still with me yeah, and, and, yeah. and has been here. Mm -hmm. And then Bo was the, the sort of the back the back of the building, uh, my neighborhood in West Hollywood. I live in Melrose, Fairfax. It's a pretty well-known neighborhood in, yeah. in, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a yeah. skater neighborhood. It's a you know real famous shopping neighborhood. But it's busy, too, because it's also WeHo. It's Boys Town. So there's a lot of traffic, a lot of stuff. And this, this beautiful Siamese is just in the in the back of the of basically living behind the buildings and the houses, um, sort of fending for himself for years because his owners would die. They would die and then they would just put him back there. And because the neighborhood houses would feed him and stuff, he would stick around and be looked after kind of half ass. But, yeah, yeah. The, but the reality is, is that he still was a homeless cat. Um, he wasn't feral. He wasn't a stray. He was homeless. And when the, uh, when the uh, protests uh, happened during pandemic, I was like, fucking that's it. I mean, that's yeah. that there's, I couldn't live with myself if something happened to, to the cat. So uh, Bo's been with me ever since. And uh, he's, he and Phoenix, both, they, they, uh, I, I say it all the time. They owe their quality of life to Winslow and I owe my quality of life to all three of them. So there you go. <laughs> awesome. I, I've been a big fan of cats my whole life, but my brother can, can attest to that. Oh, we, yeah. We've, uh, we've been big fans of cats. And so I, I wanted to ask you about that because for one, Cat people are the best people. And I'm not <laughs> just saying that because you're on this call, Carlos. Kind of am. But but seriously, cat people are the best people. And well, and I used to say can. dogs. I used to I used to say uh Cliff Blazinski, the creator of uh, yeah. Years of War and Jazz Jack Rabbit and Unreal and all that sort of stuff. He he loves dogs and he always has. And we we bonded early on uh about our love for animals. And he used to say dogs rule, right? He would hashtag dogs rule. And I would say hashtag dogs rule. So I wasn't contradicting him. I was I was agreeing. But I I I, I was I, I patted myself on the back probably for a month. I said, dogs rule. Hashtag cats rain. And, 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 and I stand by my statement. It's, it's that it's a different kind of love. It's a different kind of, of relationship, but uh, you know, they, they, uh, and, and it is, it is a bit trite and a little cliche, but you know, it all comes from truth is that they, you have to earn their love and respect. And, yes. there, and there's, and there's something to that is that, is that I've seen in every scenario, every way back, going back to the nineties, every cat I've ever been around, that uh is my cat basically okay so it's my cat um they don't sign up to be anybody's anything <laughs> you, know <what> I mean? <laughs> you know they sign up for food and shelter and that's about it and i find my my uh, behavior towards them uh 
eventually, if not pretty soon in some cases, starts getting reciprocated. You, you start getting uh, uh, kind of marked by them and they, they do find you, uh, as you were saying earlier on, and yeah. they do attach themselves to you and they hang out and follow you around and stuff. And that is so fulfilling, man. Like, like we're all isolated, you know, uh, selfish humans. And so when you see a creature, kind of a dog or a cat, showing you how it's done it, it's it's mind-blowing and it's very moving and touching you know you the reason we love dogs so much isn't so much because we just love four-legged creatures with you know weird ears it's because we we see a dog and we look in their eyes and we are reminded just how much we fucking suck i mean seriously i i mean you look at any dog any dog even the ones oh that's a bad dog he's angry he's mean you're like he's better than me <laughs> <You know what laughs> You know, I mean, I mean, the dogs are such noble creatures. Cats are such noble creatures. They're, I mean, uh, I, I like all kinds of animals, but there's something about the relationship of, of uh, you know, owner and family member with these, uh, with these animals, with these creatures that if you, when you know, you know, you know, that's what I'm getting at. When you know, you know, mm -hmm. is, is that you, you were saying about cat people. Well, I think it takes a certain kind of person to be a good cat parent and it takes a certain kind of person to be a good a dog parent. And uh, that's, I think what, what you're picking up on because i certainly do <laughs> that's awesome well shifting gears from cats to a little bit more about you said the... gears check it out yeah <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> the name of the game uh, well, everyone drink what yeah, yeah right oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Drink. too late uh, All right. <laughs> well we wanted to understand uh, obviously some of the origin stories right we've kind of gone into your early life here a little bit and in a few interviews you've talked about working and studying under you know stella adler yeah. And based on your personality, just looking at some of the things that have kind of followed you throughout the years, you know, her idea of not relying on the director instead, you know, understanding the, the material or the play itself, you know, did you feel attracted to Adler because of that type of belief, you know, in your studies? Was that kind of already there or did you? Uh, really it was, it was kind of, it, it was, it was, it was a little different in that I, I found myself in training, I, I had a lot of uh, stage uh, chops that were very technical, and uh, and uh, they did the trick. And my instincts were were pretty good. And most good actors, they 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 start out of the gate pretty really good. Their instincts are really on point. They have a lot of experience. You know, I was saying I've prepared my whole life for what I ended up doing. Well, that I I didn't end up being a comic publisher or an action figure builder. I ended mm -hmm. up being an actor, and it was because of of my what it was preparing me for was my approach to different kinds of characters and people and stories and storytelling. And when I was studying, um, I was like all young, young performers, I was full of ego. So I, I felt that a lot of things I was bringing to the table was, were, were enough. And, and the reality is you can never bring enough to the table. It's what sets good actors aside from shitty actors or even mediocre actors. And believe me, there's, there's many of all of those categories. And so in school, I found that the people that I that I respected the most were doing something unusual, something that drew me in, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And, you know, method actors get a lot of shit. They get a lot of disrespect, and they get treated very poorly because people don't really understand it because why would they? It's not their job. But when you do something as a job, it's like if someone – I always take uh, any kind of performing art, and I, I – make a metaphor from any kind of crafting, be it a construction person, a person who builds houses or a person who builds chairs or tables in that. Yeah. I mean, just because you, you can do something fairly well, doesn't mean it's going to hold up or last. It doesn't mean that it's going to be 
worth much. Uh, it'll, it'll exist, but it surely won't be as valuable as someone else's uh, craftsmanship and so forth. So I would see all these actors that, yeah, they, they, you could hear them in the back of the theater when they were on stage and they were pretty and they looked great doing what they did and they fit the suit. Like, you know, they, they just looked right, but it was kind of boring. The boring part troubled me because I, I didn't want to be one of those people that was like, yeah, there he is, you know, sure. I mean, sure. He, as long as he keeps playing guys that sound and look like him, we're, we're okay. Now we're great. We're okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. We're, and that we're okay thing scared the shit out of me because I, I didn't sign up to be a decent actor. I signed up to be the greatest actor of my generation. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I wanted the moon and the stars, you know, and everything in between. So what I found is studying different disciplines would help looking into you uh, studying with the best improv uh, teachers in San Francisco and improv groups. Uh, but, but moreover, not just having technical stage chops and preparation, but studying scene study. And at the time, Gene Shelton's Actors Lab in San Francisco was the only place where they were teaching this kind of discipline, which was from the actor's studio. It was, it was yeah. it, for, for lack of a better term, it was OG. And every year, Stella Adler would do this intensive. She'd, she'd, she'd come out. I, th I believe she was living in New York at the time. She would come to San Francisco or Los Angeles. No, she was living in Los Angeles. She would come to San Francisco and she would teach this intensive one-on-one -on -one with every of Jean's, like basically the grad students, the students in the final year where you can just stay there as long as you want studying, no matter if you're working or not working. She would teach them how to tear apart a script. And I was one of the lucky people that before she died, she and I sat down and worked on my scripts for scenes that I was working on in class. And we did it for a very long time, for months and months on end. This script analysis class is what it was. She was teaching me everything. She wasn't just teaching me. She was, she was giving me notes as if I were on stage because she already knew that I could do, like I was saying earlier in this fucking speech, is, is that, is that <laughs> she, 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 had already, she knew clearly I can do the basic stuff. I'm, I'm good enough to be in her and to be look, you know, figuring out how, how to play with the script and how to tear it apart, uh, physically tear it apart in some cases and, and with pens and pencils and erasers and tearing pages out and, and folding things and doing all kinds of shit to, 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 to be better at your job. And I, what I got obsessed with and I, and I, I still am obsessed with it now. And I tell it to anybody that studies under me when I teach is you can do everything perfectly everything i mean just have everything like i would you know there's 300 people competing for every job and most of them are younger than you better looking than you and have more experience than you how do you compete i mean you can do it all perfect so you're all the same and and everybody likes to stop there and be like it's up to the director or the writer or the or other things that you have no control over that's true but what stella adler specifically said to me and gene shelton as well is when i would finish anything i did they'd go Guess what? You get if, if I was this good at, on that day or I, I did my assignment correctly, they would say, that was perfect. You did it perfectly. No notes. You are perfect. So what? Mm. And that mm. so what still haunts me. It still haunts me. I'm, I'm a grown man and I've done many, many things. I've been very, very lucky and fortunate. I'm the first one to say how fortunate I've been with my television, with stage, with voiceover, with uh, cartoons, anime, everything. But I still, if I have a script to work on, and I'm working on a script right now, I'm obsessed with the so what. What is it that I can do that will 
that'll make it spicy, that'll make it different, that'll, that'll, it'll be something that no one else has even thought of that I hadn't thought of until I really did my work on the script. What do I find from the other actors that will, that I can fuck with, that they can fuck with me and all these things, they make this incredible alchemy, this, this great soup, you know, of, of art, of really good art. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's what makes things compelling and interesting to watch or listen to or to absorb or to read. And that's, you asked me what's, what's basically what's with Stella Adler, right? And what's with Stella Adler is that she said, so what to me, just like Gene Shelton did. And that has fueled my acting for the rest of my life. And I was, that was in my early twenties. So that, that's, that it's that, so what? Yeah. Which honestly, I think that's why, you know, whenever I would uh, have an inkling that it was you in a game I was playing, I would immediately look it up and go, this feels like a different style of preparation. You know, it feels like a different uh, interpretation than somebody else would bring to the role. I really, really appreciate that because I, I, again, when talk about luck and fortunate, I don't, I can't plan that. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't, I can't have the company put a little note. Like if you wonder who said this, look it up. You know what I mean? Like you did that on your own. And I get that every now and again. And I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I get people that say that they know that there's something afoot. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, yeah, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I dig that. I, the, the way that I say it at panels or, or appearances or just in interviews is I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm that bitch. You know, I just am. I, I'm, I, 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 I don't know if it was because uh, Ian Fleming's original description of James Bond in Casino Royale was they said, what do you something like, what do you know about Bond? And the, the quote is something like Bond uh, sees an explosive uh, or a volatile situation and he's the one that lights the fuse. Yeah. And, 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 and something about that, you know, stuck with me on some level that it's mm-hmm. like if something is 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 a powder keg, if something is there. Sure, we could play it safe, but let's set it off and see what it takes to put it out and see if it was a bad idea or was it a good idea? Like, let's let's ex- let's let's exist in the exciting part of this story, not in the boring part. That That's the thing, man. I think I think what it really boils down to, man, and from the beginning of my Stella Adler speech is that I ne- have never wanted to be boring. Boring scares the piss out of me. Uh, and I'm being yeah. very, very honest with your listeners and with you guys. And I, and I don't think I've ever really said that out loud in, a, in an interview is that I, I, I think the biggest sin that any art can do, uh, music, cinema, theater, is to bore me. It can, it can piss me off. I can, be, I, I can think that, you know, I, I can have a lot of feelings about something. It can make me sad. It can make me happy and crack up and, and a little guilty when I'm laughing. Yeah. All those things are interesting to me, but boring I mean, I just, it, 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 it's the worst sin I think that can happen with creative endeavors or art. So the idea that I, that's what I think, I, I'm having a bit of a little realization with you guys right now is that I think that's what I was seeing on stage when I wasn't the actor uh, performing or I wasn't in the movie or the cartoon or the TV show. I was like, man, that guy bores the shit out of me. I never want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And my dad and my dad and my dad used to actually point at actors uh, he he loved cinema and, and my mom loved show business, but my dad was the was the real uh, snob about movies. You know, if, if if I told him that Porky's was a good movie, he'd probably have me move out. You know what I mean? But but he <laughs> yeah. it was mm-hmm. it was a good movie. It was funny at the time. But he he was he was the guy that was like, nah, man, it's all Doctor Zhivago, The Godfather, and Casablanca mm-hmm. in this house. And so he he would give me this education of like what good acting looked like, yeah. and I never and I never really got it. Like I like I just thought, ah, yeah, he likes Spencer Tracy. I, I was never a big Spencer Tracy fan, but I'll tell you when I watch stuff now and he, and, and he, he gets a little violent when you don't expect it. 
Yeah. He surprises you. It's not boring. Mm-hmm. When 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 uh, Warren Beatty, you know, is the is the prettiest guy in the movie because it's the Warren Beatty show. But then all of a sudden he does something with his eyes or the way he says a line or it seems to throw away a line and you're choking up and stuff and you feel sad. You're like, that was awesome. That wasn't boring. He's not boring. Just because he's handsome doesn't make him boring. And, and you know, I can go on and on. I mean, there's people mm-hmm. that are like, oh. Tom Cruise. Oh my God. All the, I mean, when you hear all the fucking blowback on Tom Cruise, I'm like, I, I, we have nothing to talk about. We, we can't have a conversation about cinema or actors. If you're going to shit on one of the greatest actors and performers in history, one of the people that will literally hang himself outside a fucking plane for your entertainment. You know what I mean? Very true. That doesn't yeah. bore you, right? Mm-hmm. It's not boring. No, and no. so when, and I'll, I'll bring it back to my work, man. Not, not to fucking pontificate about how great Tom Cruise is. You know, it's not a commercial. I mean, as, as much as I, I, I want to do a commercial mm-hmm. for Maverick, no. But, but I'm saying <laughs> I, 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 I like the idea of you, like you said, you're playing a game or you're watching a cartoon I'm in or something or see me in the rerun of some such nonsense. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that was a weird thing to do. I'm like, thanks, man. That's, that, was, that was my intention all along. You know, it, it was to be interesting <laughs> and not boring. I think, I think yeah. that it's, it's kind of, I think what you're talking about is that there's just some actors out there that they they own it so much that you look forward to the next time they're going to be on screen. I mean, they're the ones that really drive, you know, the movie or in, in your case that are driving, you know, the entire sequence. You know, when we're playing through like we were there's other people and not not bashing anybody else that, you know, did those games, like especially like in Gears of War or something. But we looked forward to the scenes that you did, not just because they were plot movers and designed that way, but also from the way that you took ownership of that. I appreciate it, man. That means a lot to me. Honestly, it means the world to me. It's it's actors, you know. You uh, we're we're as 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 much ego as we present, and all the front and all the you know self congratulatory social media bullshit. The reality is that all actors are an incredibly insecure and and really needy lot. Like like we we crave validation and love. Like I I mean I would say it would be hard. You'd be hard pressed to find an actor, male or female, any any gender really that does not do what they do because they want love. You know what I mean? They, they inevitably want, mm-hmm. want people to say that was good, mate. That was pretty good. You know, we love you for it, you know? So I, uh, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And you talked a lot about, I mean, we just gushed over Tom Cruise a little bit and you talked about how uh, we can tell that a character is yours because you're doing it. Uh, but are there any other actors out there um, that you think really had a major influence on you or anything that you feel that you've, you've gained in your career after watching them? I'll give you, I'll give you one, one, okay. one, I'll give you one very specific. And it's, it's, I mean, I, I never tell this story. So you guys are in a, probably a club of two. Okay. Ooh. But, but I, I will tell you, if you ever get a chance to see the movie, mm-hmm. the fountain by Darren Aronofsky, Okay. Darren Aronofsky, mm. Darren Aronofsky directed a Requiem for a Dream. Yep. That crazy, yeah, crazy yeah. movie. Past hats and all that shit. Okay. Um, that's all anybody ever remembers about that movie, by the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this, this glorious piece of art and everybody remembers like the most fucked up part of the movie. Um, th- th- there's a lot more to Darren Aronofsky than that scene, I guess is what I'm saying. But like the fountain is his sci-fi just epic. It's really a beautiful movie. And, uh, it, it like Black Swan, another one of his movies, um, you know, all great artists, you know, hit and miss. And, and uh, I consider the fountain and, and like Black Swan, like his two hits and the fountain uh, it's Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weiss. And uh, 
it uh it's a story uh that takes place in different time periods and uh it's just awesome it's like if 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 it's like if the it's it's like when david lynch made uh fucking dune it's like yeah. it's like you it's like the the last person you'd expect to want to do a sci-fi movie because everybody wants star wars and they got dune that year and there was like what the fuck's going on here you know what i mean but it was interesting it was david lynch so as a piece of art it will always hold up even though the more recent dune is way more faithful and you know you know what i mean like 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 it's it's one of those things that you don't expect aaron aronofsky to make star wars but his sci-fi movie the fountain it 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 hits in a real amazing incredible and very specific way and i've like i said i've never told anybody this but hugh jackman's work in the fountain is arguably the biggest influence on my work in Gears of War 2, specifically the Maria scene. So yeah. I'm saying that that whole movie informed my performance for one scene in a video game. So it's it's worthy of your time. I, I think you guys should check it out. I, I love Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, even my kids picked up on The Greatest Showman and they my, my son constantly sings the soundtrack. <laughs> That's that awesome. movie mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that's cool that's awesome i we love hearing about it those kinds of when stories you see because, when yeah. you see hugh jackman when you I, i'll tell you I, I, you guys are geeky enough I, I can tell when you watch the fountain somewhere in the film you'll be like oh fuck yeah oh my god totally this is fucking this is what he's talking about like it's that it's that kind <laughs> of thing it's like you, you'll just be like oh fuck like like straight up and it's one of those things actors we don't so much steal from each other as, as much as we learn from each other. And mm-hmm, yeah. why wouldn't I be influenced by one of the greatest stage and cinema actors in history? Why, why wouldn't I take a lesson from him on, you know, bitch, this is how you do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's, and that's why I, I, I'm very grateful for that movie when it came out, what's in it, because it, it, it was a, it was a wonderful influence. And, you know, the Maria scene kind of changed the trajectory of my whole career. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, like just one of the most amazing talents out there. The man can act, he can sing, he can dance. He's like eighty percent muscle, and as far as I know, it's like him and sharks. They're the only things that are like that on the planet. How would you not want to emulate that? <laughs> yep. Did, did, did you want to talk a little bit about you know that being that is is what you know a lot of us have not, not that there's not a lot of things you've done with the Maria scene especially. I mean, I I, I couldn't. Couldn't go this whole way without touching on that a little bit. Mark and I, like I had bought an Xbox secondhand for like a hundred bucks and we just started getting down and dirty with Gears of War on it and playing co-op and everything. And it, it kind of what's amazing is, is that there's, there's a limitation and, and, and the farther back you go, a lot of limitation is to what the graphics could do as far as, uh, I don't know, say moving you as a person. So, so much of it did come from like the voice acting, but can you give us like a little bit of insight into like your approach to how you did that? Um, um, well, I insisted, I, I insisted. And, and again, this is, it was me, not, it was me insisting once that it was even on the table, but, but it was, it was, it was not something that most voice actors at the time leaned into gears of war two historically, where, when it happened, it really created a lot of new shit that is now, total commonplace in games horde mode changed video games permanently um and motion capture as much as it was being used um there were there were like no there were no uh voice actors doing their own motion capture that was i mean i'm i'll own it and pat myself on the back for it because the maria scene is all me it's my voice and my motion capture i did that in raleigh north carolina so i uh 
I, I was at Epic Games and uh, they they put me in the suit, which is I've, I've talked about it before. If you ever want to wear the most unflattering thing available to a man, put that suit on. You'll 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 never want to. I don't think you'll ever want to look at yourself in a mirror again. It's the worst fucking thing. Um, the, I mean, just just think of this: uh, the Hugh Jackmans of the world, the Daniel Craig's of the world. When they put on the motion capture suit, they hate the way they look in it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so any actor that's just not at movie weight, as they say, would just be pissed. So I was, I was fighting my ego and my, <laughs> and also my, I, I prepared for it and all this, but I, I was very uh, pleased at the end of the day to be able to be completely involved in the production of that cinematic. So Greg Mitchell was directing it. Uh, again, it was at Epic Games. I, I, you know, we were, we were doing theater. We were we were doing yeah. the, the the scene like I would do it in a play or in a film, and uh, it was really important to me. Um, I may have not been getting all the stimulus that that one gets in a situation like that. If anything, I had uh, uh, hurdles. There was you know instead of lancers and boltock pistols and shit like that, we were holding super soakers and Nerf guns. You know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. that's a little. It kind of pulls you out. Again, the dot suit. You kind of you don't feel like a cog soldier. You feel like a sexy sausage. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it was, it was daunting, but again, it was exciting and interesting because no one had really done it, uh, that much at that point. Um, and, uh, I, I think it paid off. I was, I was, I was pleased the way it turned out. Um, though I always think of that scene that, that, uh, Gears of War, uh, in retrospect, two and three, they have a real habit in the, in the, in, for some reason that when something really shitty happens, someone always goes, it's all right. And you're like, no, it isn't, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like yeah. I always think that Marcus's words before he leaves the 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 pod bay area where uh, Dom and Marie are, he goes, "It's okay, Dom. It's all right." And he leaves. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's fucking not, man. Like what? You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, Anya like, is the same thing to him in three. You know. That was exactly okay, what I was gonna say. Is it's okay, yeah. Marcus? It's okay. <laughs> and and I, I think she even says he's gone. It's okay. It's like, well fuck man there's a contradiction in terms he's yeah. dead he's gone it's okay we will never hear the dom burning sound ever again it's like did you, did you just know what you said uh, uh, well uh, you know it's funny you say that because i got asked for a fucking cameo just this last weekend to do i i tell joke one of my my, my go-to jokes about funny things that happen with gears is that they didn't record enough of dom on fire for the scorcher they usually they usually are very good about this, but they didn't they didn't record enough uh, enough uh, takes enough ways of me doing it. So they just fuck they fucked up. I mean it's it's a classic fuck up uh, Easter egg. Is that usually they do different versions depending on how long you're being uh, torched with that thing, and mine is just the initial like I'm on fire. So if you keep burning, here's a, a fun uh, Easter egg pro tip for you. If you ever use the scorcher on Dominic Santiago in Gears, uh, he'll go. It, it, and it sounds funny. He looks like Homer Simpson running in a circle. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, so, so this kid, he asked me to, he asked me to do that Dom on fire noise in a, in a cameo. And then you just brought it up now. And I, I was like, are you, are you referencing that? Or are you referencing something else? It kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, it's it stuck in my head ever, ever since I played that game because yeah, everybody's got a different burning sound, but, but yeah, mine whole... is the crazy one, right? <laughs> so if as an exclusive for this podcast, how would you have made it sound had you had it your way? 
honestly, if I would have had it my way and finished and done the, the, the third version is the one where it's all the way till he dies. There's A, B and C. Um, I couldn't do that right now because they'd call the police in my neighborhood. Because <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I mean, if, you, if we've been, you know, <laughs> I've been jerking myself off here about what a great actor I am. Can you imagine me acting right now like I'm on fire in my building? The, cop, <laughs> the cops would show up. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, here's here's something that's that's a little more on topic. It doesn't require you to potentially have neighbors call 911 on you. Um, right. Now, someone that we interviewed last year, Lou Temple, who is actually an alum of of Rango that you provided uh, your voice for uh, on yes. the on the video game, I believe. Yep. Now. Lou Temple actually told us that since he died so many times in, in film and TV that he actually went through a mourning process for a lot of these characters. And I had that stick in my mind as we were thinking about what we wanted to ask you, because you've mentioned that you obviously had your stages of grief when they broke the news to you about, you know, Dom passing in Gears of War three. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear that? Uh, it's funny, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you told me, yeah, I, I listened to the interview a little while ago and I was like, I get it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I was interested in what happened, you know, after that process. I mean, did you continue to mourn Dom? You know, like, what was that like for you? No, you know what? It, uh, it, uh, I, I gotta say, uh, all due respect to Mr. Temple. Uh, you, you said it was Lou Temple, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All due respect. Uh, I, I don't experience that. Uh, even if my, I mean, my, a lot of my characters die in general, like just, I, I they tend to give the, the die. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a weird compliment to both, Mr. Temple and to me is that they tend to give the characters that die to actors that can kind of pull that, pull their weight in that respect in that you'll notice. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 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 like you'll care, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't give it, if, if you give it to an unlikable cat or to a cat that doesn't have much to do and they die, you just go, who gives a fuck they died. But, but you know, they, 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 they do these cinematic and very strong deaths <clears throat> with people that can contribute something kind of a uh, kind of interesting and, uh, compelling right so i uh i after three i knew i was excited about it and i and i made peace with it and all but i knew already right out of the gate that we were going to start working on four on the on the uh, intro to four yeah. so so for me the character i just found another part of his life to get invested in we worked over the course of two over the course of two years to get that right to get the 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 uh the intro to gears four right and, you know, I, I was pleased with what we did, but it was funny. It was originally supposed to be another fun fact for your listeners. Gears of War 4 in the original incarnation of the script that I saw, it was the whole intro scene was Asfo Fields and my part of the intro scene. Then when, we, then when it came out, it was like everyone that had ever died got a little fucking shout out before the game starts. Uh, yeah. when, when, it, when it's Prescott's, uh, no, Hoffman's uh, memories. So, yeah. so... I, I asked Rod Ferguson, uh, you know, basically what the fuck. <laughs> and yeah. he, and he was like, it went, your shit was so great. It's so good that we thought we'll do it with all the characters. And of course, what do you say to that? Right? Like, no, it was my fucking scene. You know what I mean? But, but I, yeah. I, you, you asked me about making peace with things. I felt that, uh, you know, I thought that, I thought that in, in, in storytelling terms, it was, it was a real surprise uh, in three for some people. I thought it could have, been later in the game i did I, I thought it was a little early so that kind of bummed me out but i I'd made peace with where it came in the story and, and and i was fine with it for four i thought what a great way to get in after unreal i mean after 
uh, Ultimate Edition had come out and we now knew what Gears of War looked like on an Xbox One, I thought, yeah, yeah Gears uh, 4 is going to be great because it's an Xbox One game. But now that we know how to play it, now we can explore, you know, uh, prequel uh, bits. We can do DLC of different kinds of squads, which is the direction they went. But I was I was really kind of hoping Dom got a little more to do in in that opening scene. But again, I was I was happy to be involved. I mean, uh, you know, brothers to the end and all that. You know, I was I was I was yeah. happy to be involved with that. When we did all the recording for the multiplayer of five, I mean, I'm learning just like everybody else. I'm learning more lore. I'm learning characters, different villains, different uh, monsters. So you know, b- between the locust, the swarm, and everything in between, and every kind of you know, robotic, you know, adversary, everything about Gears is so intrinsic to my character that I've never really felt like he died. I I feel like he's, he's involved in this entertainment franchise. It's like, to me, I look at it a bit like, and yeah, and I am comparing it to Star Wars. Thank you. Um, I look at it a bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi right now, or Boba Fett. I mean, how long were we with nothing from Boba Fett? And now yeah. he's got his own series, even if he's not in it much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, right. But but, yeah. but 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 what I was gonna say is that was my cheeky dig at Boba Fett. Anyway, the uh, <laughs> the, the the thing the, the thing with with Star Wars uh, as as a touchstone for me when I talk about uh, Gears, Assassin's Creed, Call of Duty, Uncharted, Saints Row, anything that I'm involved in, is that with games with this sort of thing with these properties the lore is the star and and yeah. we, we we can keep contributing to it and jump around in timelines and locations that's what makes it fun the reason that 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 model i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about uh marvel and and dc about comics about oh we got you with one the first taste is free like the old drug dealer model and now you're yeah. screwed because you got to keep buying for the rest of your life well it's it's even worse with 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 in terms of pop culture because one thing can turn into 20 different properties that now you're obsessed with and for me dom being a part of it on any level is very very pleasing but it's cool that to me dom is has never really died in my eyes he's that was his death story it's 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 just it's just like you know uh luke in uh in oh fuck what a weird comparison no i was i was gonna say i was gonna say luke in fucking uh uh, rise of skywalker no rise of skywalker Okay. Um, but no, I meant I meant Last Jedi. But when I when I thought Rise of Skywalker, I was like, oh, don't even talk about that movie. But um, yeah. but 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 last but in Last Jedi, the fact that we witnessed him, you know, uh, going away, I was like, well, we saw that, but that doesn't take away from what happens in the Mandalorian or what's happening on Obi Wan. You know what I'm saying? Not Obi Wan, uh, fucking uh, Book of Boba Fett. Uh, yeah. Any any time that Luke pops up. He's not really. Oh, he's dead. We can't see any more of him. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. uh, Andor is is the story of the guy who died in Rogue One. Man, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is. I, I see it that way. I I I think and and it's going to sound a bit like a young actor campaigning for a part. So I'm not doing that. I, I have to make that disclaimer. <laughs> they- okay, but 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 I got to say, people have been saying to me since Gears Three, why didn't Dom have his own game like Judgment, like the Baird? Cole sure. game like like right. why 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 isn't there a whole thing about the young young uh, Carlos Santiago and Don yeah. and, and stuff yeah. st- st- stuff from the books and and all that sort of stuff and I'm like fuck yeah man I'm fucking in I I, I think in those terms not just because it's a job for me but because it's a cool thing for my property I, I I've always viewed Gears of War to be as big as as it is now and for there to be books comics 
toys, action figures, uh, board games, every, I mean, I'm well aware of being an action figure and, and toy collector. I'm well aware of all the merch and stuff that's out there of gears and gears of war. And it is like a star Wars or a star Trek property. Yeah. And, and it's part of our modern mythology. So for me, you know, in mythology, gods never really die. You just tell another story. So yeah, I just called Dama God. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Did they, well, did they, they, did they name oh, Carlos after you? Yes, they did. And they presented me with say. a cog tag about it. It was awesome. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure we settled that one out. Okay. Yeah, Carlos well, Santiago is um, named after me. Yeah. I do want to say this, Carlos, that even though the, the God's comparison you know, may seem grand to a lot of people, uh, I, I agree with it. I really do. Because there's there's only a few games that have actually brought me to tears. And so your perform performances in gears of war did that for me and i appreciate it so and, and I, that was the idea man so that yeah. means that 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 uh i had this this uh thing i was trying to accomplish and you're letting me know that i accomplished it so thank you i i wanted people to to get in his in his head and his consciousness even though it's a you know a crazy game with a chainsaw that you know would never work on a machine gun you know what i mean and 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 I, I i wanted i wanted to bring some humanity to it and and yeah the the there is there is a pun in there somewhere but I, I'm, I'm just saying that i really i really did want it to be real and and minimally moving you know and so that that means a lot to me and by the time uh his big scene in gears three turns up i just wanted it to to have meaning and to, and to not for him not to go out like a chump. So the fact that, that it worked out and people responded to it the way you did, it doesn't fall in deaf ears. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Nate's Nate's got uh, one of our fan questions here that. Yeah. Let's, let's say what I know. I know you guys were, were fishing for questions. So I'm, I'm really curious to know what people asked. Yeah. Yeah. This is one that uh, I think you'll be interested to hear. So Nate, yeah. take us away. So, you know, kind of like a tone in things in video games and narratives, you know, both in movies, video games, especially they've really gone. I'm going to say a lot more serious. And I don't know if that's like, I call it like a dark night effect, like things everybody wanted like that. gritty. Reality. Well, you're not wrong. You're not, you're not wrong. There, there's, 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 there's clearly, I mean, you, you say that in one sentence and then you think about anything like rabbits or angry birds and shit. And it's like, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's room for everything, but in terms of console stuff, absolutely. They started, uh, I, I like to think it started with the Maria scene, but yeah, uh, uh, it, uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, you know, was that like, where did you first see that happening? Cause I mean, we, I said, I like to say, I take, I'm, I'm serious. You got, you guys got me on a weird day. I, I take full credit for that. And you can tell, <laughs> you can tell the whole world. I said so. I, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm dead. Not, would, I'm, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being dead serious. I, 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 I remember when the Maria, when the, uh, when I did press for Epic and uh, the uh, everybody was talking about the Maria scene and how it, you know, it surprised everybody minimally. Cause you know, you're thinking, man, this is a, this is a video game. We're just killing monsters. What the fuck is this bullshit? And there was, there was, there was a lot of that, you know, but at the same time, it did it, it didn't take away from people that it meant something to and that loved it and that were, that were interested in it and uh, responded to it positively. So I, I, I don't remember. I think it was IGN. I it could be destructoid, but somebody said Carlos Ferro changed video game voice acting forever. And I carry that like a badge of honor because I was told repeatedly back in 2011 or 12 that no one had ever done a scene like the Maria scene in any video game in history. Never. It didn't exist. And then all of a sudden, 
everybody was doing that person dies that person's gonna die uh fucking a horse is gonna die everyone's dying and everything is sad um is it a kid let's kill the kid that'll be sad you know what i mean yeah and you, know, and, you compare it to like say like in like you know eris in like final fantasy 7 yeah she died yeah little, you know it was kind of emotional but the maria scene i mean mark and i remember the controllers were put down we're like oh, oh my god think it's, it's time to get something to eat you know we're, we're like we gotta eris gotta take eris, a break here Eris and Dom were for a long time considered the saddest. And then things like uh, Ghost and Soap and Call of Duty, then yep. Ellie, uh, Last of Us. Cortana and Halo. Yeah, but see, that's what I'm saying, though, is that I was trying to... to I'm glad you brought up Eris. I, I, I actually feel like that was going to be too deep a cut, believe it or not. But what I'm saying is that in terms of tone and intensity... <laughs> Okay, I think that uh, my scene changed everything. Honestly, I, I think that it. I think that uh, a lot of roads that we're on now lead back to Gears of War two. A lot. It, it really does. I, I'm I'm not even joking about that. When I saw that question come through, I went, I don't really care what they think the answer might be to that one because for me it was cemented. The Maria scene, like I yeah, said, it changed it everything. It, it brought me everything. tears. I was trying to hide my tears from Nate when we were playing the game. I, I'm serious. <laughs> I was sitting there going like, no, 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 you fuck off, man. I'm not crying. You're crying. He knows my reaction was, is like, I just go, and I'm done here for right now. Yep. Need- yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, if, if you ever want to see something uh, kind of a weird, funny spin on that, uh, there's uh, videos on YouTube of Dom's death rage quit. Yes. And, and uh, they're amazing. They're amazing to watch because because mm-hmm. people got really moved and it's 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 funny you know when you step outside of, of it and just go how funny is this kid throwing a controller at her brother right but um but the reality is that it, it it meant something to people and there would be no three without two and I, and I I would even argue the reason they asked me to do that scene or they I don't think they were they were painted into a corner so much and that he had to die which is how the people tend to think of it of like mm-hmm. oh man he was so sad he's got to die. Well, okay, sure. If you, if you, okay, but the reality is that uh, uh, in showbiz, if something worked, the people want to do it again. And yeah. I, and I, and I, it's you know, in some ways, it's being a victim of your own success. Is that you know they knew I could do that shit in two, and they're like, let's do it again. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I, I think that's also a reason that a reason that three uh, has another gut punch kind of scene. But uh, in terms of uh, the dark night effect of uh, video games, I take full responsibility. <laughs> In front well, of for us, is like we just put like 65 hours into this and it's like the pain is real. Like you get connected to these characters like you get connected to a series of comic books you've been reading for like a year and a half. And yeah. You start seeing like the pain come in there, you know, in like the second to last episode of this, you know, like yeah. reading like the Age of Apocalypse or something. You start, you know, characters start getting killed off and you're just like... Here, here gets real, you know, and we, yeah. th- that's, that's the payoff. I mean, that was the payoff for that is that, you know, he's very optimistic. He's, you know, pounding through this for like one and then two. And then like, you know, the Maria scene, and you're just like, man, the payoff was there. Like you guys earned it. It was because yeah, like the, yeah. the, there's some games now they just throw it at you where it's just like, here's some emotion we want you to feel for this or something. It's like, look, and, it's and, be and, and it's a, it's, excuse me. It's a, it's a testament to all the craftsmanship that goes into it. The writing was amazing on all the gears games. Uh, they, 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 and it continues to be really, really, uh, 
compelling and and really you know there's there's so many stories to be told about you know a planet under siege and it's it's just really it's really lovely to see so many talented people come together and make something beautiful and when i was at epic and i'm sure it's that way at the coalition i haven't been to their offices yet but the um or i haven't been to their office i should say not yet i'm fucked people will misinterpret that yet in a second um but uh no i um i'm sure i'll be there someday but uh as a tourist but I, I, I will say that it's it's Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, man. There's one room where they're making the Everlasting Gobstopper, another room where the Oompa Loompas are fucking, you know, schlepping sugar. But at the end of the day, it's all the best chocolate. I mean, every every room was just amazing sculptors, literally sculptors making monsters. Chris Perna. Uh, there were there was people, you know, all the writers, Karen Travis, Josh Ortega, just writing great stuff. Um uh, the work from Chris Borders, Rod Ferguson, uh, Bonnie Jean Ma, everybody, the, the team was just so good at what they did that it did make uh, it easier for us to shine. I, I, I will I will say when I say it all started with me, well, start with the scene I acted in, to be more specific. It's, it's, it's that we all decided to take some chances and it paid off, you know? The suspense is terrible as... As Willy Wonka would say, right? <laughs> exactly. The suspense. It's, it's terrible. Yes, exactly. I hope it'll last. <laughs> yes. Well, I tell you what, we had one more uh, fan question that we wanted to squeeze in here at the end of the day. And please, this this one might actually be a deep cut too, in, in a sense, because it, it refers to Rastros, your your uh, family story in a way. Yep. Um, and, and the Did question- Did you watch it? I've actually seen it. I, I remember oh, watching cool. it because it's been, you put it out in like 2005, if I remember correctly. Yeah, correctly. It was 2006 yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I've seen it. And honestly, um, I I connected with it before I even saw this question because honestly, your mom reminds me a lot of my mom. My mom's an immigrant to this country and they have the re- really similar sense of humor. So I'm, I'm yeah. trying, not to get, trying not to get choked up here because when I saw no, your, no, your cool. mom tell jokes, she she was so damn funny in that yeah in, yeah in that interview you did with her and your dad. When you mentioned your dad earlier, I thought like this this feels like exactly what I saw in that video. Like this, thank you. This guy, he he is so dry, you know. He's perfectly yeah. dry, and and so seeing a, a film like that where you're you're almost telling a documentary about your own family, you know, that's obviously powerful. And and one of the fans that wrote in specifically mentioned. You know, after jumping into writing and, and directing, you know, Rastros, do you do you plan to continue filmmaking? If so, where would you want to go with it? Well, it's a great question. Um, and I really appreciate uh, anybody seeing Rastros means a lot to me, as you can imagine. It was it was an art film masquerading as like just some random short about, you know, you know, look how great my parents were kind of thing. But it yeah. was really it was really me kind of digesting and and creating art from something miserable, right? You know what I mean? From grief. And, yeah. and, uh, and it, it seems to be sort of my, uh, my uh, sweet spot is, is melancholy and, and my performance. And it's not, it's not a coincidence, man. Like actors, artists, uh, they tend to fall into two categories. They, they tend to be uh, either they want to make you laugh or they want to make you cry. And uh, that, that's for every, every actor. I, I don't think anybody would argue with me about that. So I, um, I'm clearly in the camp of making people cry (laughs) and, and, uh, I, I, it, uh, Rostros, it, uh, it, it went well with who I was then and what I was going through. Um, since then, uh, since working, uh, on all the things that I've worked on since and having the experiences that I have now, um, I'm still writing and I'm, and I'm writing stuff down, but, uh, 
I've been very fortunate that I've got things on the horizon where I can channel all those those feelings and those emotions into uh, projects that somebody else wrote and produced and directed or is directing. Um, I uh, I don't see myself. I I don't have it in my short list of of things that I need to get done because you know you get to a certain age and you guys will all get there, man. Where you start not doing what you want to do, but what you have to do before you die. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you just you just stop thinking of like, oh, it'd be nice to go to the Yosemite someday. It's either I got to go or I'm never going. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think it was Carl Pilkington who said, uh, if you haven't bungee jumped by the time you're 70, you're probably never going to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? So you don't you know, you're not going to keep saying I might bungee jump someday. You know, you're never going to. You know what I mean? And so I I don't know that I. I, I mean, all actors, I think, uh, worth their shit, uh, have a feature inside them or, or they have they have uh, the wherewithal to create uh, a film script and so forth. But I right now I'm just thinking I'm looking down the barrel of the immediate pretty much. I mean, it's a great question because it caught me off guard. I've, I've never been asked that question of are you going to write, produce, direct another movie is essentially the question. Right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, my thing is that um, hold on. I mean. I'm feeling like I'm, we've been talking so long. And by the way, this is like one of the most fun podcasts I've ever done. So I appreciate it. Oh, awesome. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, no, it feels like a conversation and a chat with buddies, which is the idea. So um, I'm looking down the barrel of misidentity, this live action thing that I'm doing. And yeah. um, it's it, it keeps being bandied about online as a short. I'll give you guys uh, yet another kind of exclusive. It's, it's uh, and I won't use the business terminology because that I will get in trouble for, but it's the beginning of something. It's not, it's not just a thing all isolated. It's is the beginning of something. So it's a very exciting thing for me. So I'm very focused on, on that, on, on, on misidentity. Um, the, um, the, uh, the end of this month, I've got a new series that's, that's coming out. And so I, I think in terms of promotion for that for a while and why I'll be at conventions and stuff, I've got a new video game coming out in August. So I, I see my schedule and I see my life uh, for the rest of 2022 and I don't see like, Oh man, I got to finish that script. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, I think more in terms of these things that I've got cooking in the immediate, which is a really great place to be as an actor. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not bored and I'm also not unemployed. Uh, so uh, in the immediate, no, I don't, I don't see myself uh, making another movie. Uh, if I did, if I did, which is I never say never, right? If I did, it would be something uh, fictional, uh, always personal, but never, never as nothing will ever be as personal as Rostros. And it's why I could only do 26 minutes is because any more than 26 minutes, I probably slit my wrists. You know what I mean? Like it's, it was way too personal. I was, I was bleeding all over those 26 minutes and I didn't want to bleed mm -hmm. to death, you know? So uh, yeah. there, there's yeah. a nice sad thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> honestly it, it makes it makes complete sense though yeah. like it, for folks that have watched it we'll even link it to in the in the description that please do i would appreciate that mm -hmm. it, yeah if you watch this this film you'll, you'll think about your your own family and how you would like to to honor them too so i i, I don't see anything wrong with what you said i think no. it's i think it's a wonderful way to interpret that because it is very personal and so yeah thanks man Thanks. Yeah, it really it means the it. world to me. And, and uh, I, I, I noticed that I've been chatting, even though we had some clunky technical stuff at the top. Uh, uh, how are we doing on time? Have I just talked your ears off? Oh, no. I mean, we oh. were we we're getting kind of uh, to the point where we were going to probably wrap things up here. But I mean, this has been phenomenal. Like, seriously, thank you so, so much for well, giving us this time and everything you've told us. Like, 
um, hearing that like you haven't like shared some of these stories before, um, or you haven't said them in a long time, really does mean the world to us and our and our listeners. So again, thank you so very much for coming on tonight. Well, I'm 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 all 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 I ask before we wrap up is that you let me have some plugs that I oh I can, absolutely oh, that oh, was yeah. nope. that was actually the next step because what we typically do is. Uh, let you just have the floor for the last few minutes here where you get to talk about anything uh, up and coming that you can talk about uh, where to find you for social medias, conventions, any events that you're doing uh, before leaving us with our, with our tagline. So this, cool. this is all you. Okay, cool. Well, I will give your, uh, you guys and your listeners uh, a tiny bit of homework. And that is that um, I can't say what my series is that's coming out. Uh, at the end of this month, but just by saying at the end of this month, pretty much gives it away uh, for people that pay attention to the sorts of things that I'm involved with. Um, and uh, but it, but it's it's uh, I, I I encourage you guys to to speculate because it'll only be good for the show. Um, but like I said, it's uh, it, it's it's a it's a really cool thing. I'm in every episode and doing a lot of shit, and it's it's very exciting. But that being said, the first uh, convention I'll be doing after that is next month. I'm in Houston at Comic Palooza, which is a nice big show. And I'll be celebrating this new uh, series uh, that may or may not be on Disney Plus. And um, so and Galaxy Con in Raleigh, North Carolina next month as well. Uh, Big celebration of the new show. And, uh, you know, uh, August. there's there's not a lot of video game releases that are that are happening in August. So uh, do, do 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 the math there. But I do have something in August. And again, I love people speculating and searching and figuring it out or not figuring it out. So uh, but August is a good is a good year for my video game. I mean, a good month for my video game fans. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think I think right now I wanted to plug the series. I wanted to plug that I'll be at in Houston and in Raleigh in July. And uh, my new game in August, which is fucking, I'm very excited about the game. And I think you guys will be too. Um, we'll talk about it off the air. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, the usual, the usual uh, grind. I'm always at Dragon Con or Fanex Salt Lake City throwing my parties or DJing a party or doing something stupid. And uh, there you have it, guys. I think that's it for plugs. That sounds awesome. like stupid fun, sir. <laughs> yeah. First and foremost. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the idea. If you, if you can't don't have fun, threaten. don't bother. Yeah. Don't threaten <laughs> us with a good time, Carlos, because that's, that's what you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know. I don't know what shows you guys go to, but I'll tell you comic Palooza in Houston is absolutely wonderful. Galaxy con in Raleigh is, is a good show. Uh, great, great guests. But, uh, I would, I would say it's hard to top any party at any time during Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia. It it's 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 have you guys ever been? I've never been, no. I've only known people who've gone. Yeah. It's a it's a huge party masquerading as a con. It's it's amazing. It's 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 just the most geeky, it's geeky nirvana. Same with and, and on some level, Fanex in Salt Lake City, Utah. And you're like, really? Utah? Yes. Fanex in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's the only uh, convention where I do I throw a party called Fanboy. And you'll see that in my social media and stuff. Um, it's that good. It's like just so many like-minded people and all, you know, having a good time all weekend. So, uh, it, although in Utah, not on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> this is Carlos Ferro, the voice of Dominic Santiago in the Gears of War franchise, Leonardo da Vinci in the Assassin's Creed franchise, and a bunch of other cool shit. And I want to tell you, until next time, keep on dissecting. 